shows for which is where I normally host my podcast show. So today I'm manipulating a couple things all at the same time, but I'm really excited to do this and to have this conversation today. You know me, I like to experiment and see how we can spread the word about all of these amazing, beautiful people in the HR space. So I'm checking, am I live on LinkedIn? Yes, I am. Am I live on YouTube? Yes, I am. I can see Facebook. And I can see that we are live on Podbean for the first time. Well, wow. let's see how this goes. So my guest today, my brave guest here today to help me have this conversation as we talk about HR organizational development and how to navigate the HR journey is Shaquille Butt. So I'm going to bring him up right now. Hi, Shaquille. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. It's so good to see you and nice to have you here. Welcome to the show. I'm very excited to be especially with you experimenting this way that you are. It's nice to be part of that experiment. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for being so brave and joining me for this today. So we're going to kick off the show uh, with you doing the introduction. So just letting everybody know who you are. And tell us a little bit about your HR origin story. Usually for this part, I'll disappear so that you can share and get to know the audience a little better. So um, I'd like to say I thought I had a unique story, um, but obviously now I've been in the HR space for um, 13, 14 years, I, I realize actually I'm not that unique. Um, I initially came in from through the back door, if that makes sense. I, I started off my career in finance. I spent 20 years in finance. And I fell into HR accidentally um, when an opportunity arose in my workplace. There was an interim uh, role. It was only meant to be for three months. Um, and I thought, you know, when I was asked to take it on, I'd, I'd just applied for a finance director role, um, got, got, you know, beaten to the post by the, by the uh, incumbent. Um, but it brought me to the attention of the organization to put me forward for the HR and organization development director role. Now, at that point in time, um, very naively and very perhaps foolishly, I thought I understood what HR and OD was. Um, I'd been working in, you know, in, in the management space for 20 odd years, odd years. Um, so I thought I understood HR and I, and I suppose I had a understanding of what HR and OD was. But I certainly didn't really understand what I was taking on. And the three months became six, six became nine, nine ended up becoming 18. And at the 18th month point, um, the organization, if I was to take on the role, I'd have to, um, one, go back to university and study a qualification. Uh, and two, you know, make it very clear that my, my days of finance were part of my past. Now, that was a uh, quite a uh, hard decision to make. Blood, sweat and tears. I, 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 I said to get to the point of being a qualified accountant. But this was something that was something so new. And if I'm being honest, I'd stagnated. I, um, I realized I've been, I've been in the role for a, a good while. Um, I started repeating some of the things I'd already done, changing the auditors, new finances, um, policy processes, new teams. Um, it wasn't really that challenging or that stretching. And I probably would have carried on if I had this interim opportunity hadn't come along. 
So I'm glad it did. Um, it was something completely new. I was completely in my, you know, um, out of my comfort zone. Uh, I reached out to a number of HR directors who um, were being, you know, more more experienced in this space, and I just asked for help. And, I, and, I, and, I, and one thing I always encourage everyone to do is to be vulnerable and ask. And I was really taken back by how supportive the HR community as a whole is. Um, and I suppose, you know, I was HRD for eight years, and I'll talk about that perhaps um, throughout today's podcast. But then my journey changed because in 2017, I made redundant. Now, um, it was a very, very low point. So I won't pretend, you know, being made redundant is never nice for anyone. The word itself is is quite negative, isn't it? Redundant, no longer necessary. Um, and I really genuinely believed, um, walking to my next HRD role, um, with my you know, qualifications, my experience, um, and some of the uh, achievements that I achieved up to that point. And that's when I realised actually, um, it's not that straightforward. There is a bit of a well, not a bit. There is a certainly a ceiling. Uh, whereby people like me, and I'll come back to that later, perhaps don't do uh, as well. And I, and, I, and I tried, you know, going down a level, dropping to head of HR roles, and I was told I was too qualified. Um, but I just wasn't making that final uh, grade. Now, at that point, just to finish off my HR origin story, I thought, um, you know, I'd be chasing a role forever. Um, and, I, and I started toying with the idea of being a freelancer best decision I ever made. So I know there's a, there's a, you know there's been a lot of shift and change of many people joining the gig economy. But for me, the freelance space um, was certainly a lot more rewarding. Certainly, I felt a lot more control and autonomy over And I've enjoyed, I'd say, most of that journey. And I'll probably um, stop there and I'll show more about Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your story. There was a lot to unpack there, wasn't there, Shaquille? I think that, you know, as we develop our HR journeys, it's so important to share them so that other people understand, you know, that getting into this space comes with its challenges, but it's also very rewarding. And so I'm really glad that you were able to kind of just articulate your journey and share that. I see that Fort Lauderdale is in the house as well as the Bahamas joining us today. I think the Netherlands is here as well. Um, so welcome to the show, everyone. Please, if you have any questions for us on organizational development, navigating your HR journey, we'll be more than happy to answer those questions throughout the show. I wanna get into- I'll the easy ones, you can go to the top. <laughs> So let's get into our first question in terms of organizational development and the HR space, because I know for the last two plus years, we've gone through quite a lot um, with this pandemic, but also social, political injustices, economic downfalls. Mm -hmm. It's been a rough time for us in this space. What does the future look like for you um, in your mind for HR and organizational development? So unfortunately, I don't have the benefit of my crystal ball, but I'll, I'll give it my best shot. So uh -huh. um, I think before we can think about the future, I think it's important to understand where we came from. And I know when I came into this space, 
I was quite taken back by some of the language you know we mm -hmm. use as HR professionals, you know, mm -hmm. human resources, um, human capital, mm -hmm. um, focusing on on efficiencies and and you know, restructuring and making savings. And I thought you know that's really the language I was used to as part of my finance background. Mm -hmm. You know, human capital, financial capital, human yes. resources, financial resources, um, savings and efficiencies and you know cost cutting. That was really the language I was used to as an accountant because as an accountant. It is about you know that bottom line figure. It yeah. is about you know return on investment. It's all about um, you know generating more revenue and reducing your costs. Uh, and when I came to space, it was interesting to see how many of my HR community were you know echoing the same language I was used to. Yeah. Now that's not necessarily a good thing. A good thing. Mm -hmm. If you think back to the fact that the HR profession started, that's not how we started. No. In, in, you know, in the UK, the CIPD started up as the People and Welfare Association, I think in 1915. Um, wow. Time, mm -hmm. um, but it was about people and their welfare. And somewhere along the line, you know, we, I, I suppose for validation, we thought we had to echo the language to be heard in the, you know, in the boardroom. I get it. I understand why. We had to um, echo the language that, you know, the, the business, you know, want to focus. And it's interesting that you talk about the future, but I think we were, we were already on a journey and we were seeing a shift. Yeah. In, in, and the shift really was around a focus on well-being and mental health and, 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 and you know, making um, work more meaningful for people and not being, you know, a, a modern day, um, you know, want of a better word, turning this into modern day, modern day slaves. We're not resources, we're people. That's it. And I think that shift, um, you know, some that's just been a shift in semantic. I, I, I've seen that. You know, they, they talk about they've shifted from human resources and organization development to people and culture. Yeah. But if you understand that, that it's not just words and actually those words matter, then isn't that exactly what we're meant to be about as HR professionals? Yep. To help you know people be the best versions of themselves. You know, going all the way back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. needs. Mm -hmm. Isn't that what we're ultimately about? If we can enable people to be the best versions of themselves, then of course they're going to, you know, be more focused on on, 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 on contributing more to their organisations because they'll they'll understand the purpose behind that organisation. So it's about thinking about purpose. It's about really understanding what are the values of the organisation. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about culture, it's about creating a climate where people thrive, not survive. And there is a difference. Yes. And too many people. This this pandemic has been a wake up call to you know to think back to one how they were treated by their organisations at the, you know the height of the pandemic and yeah. you know we saw you know as an accountant you know both as an accountant and as a HR when I saw the initial knee jerk response by organisations which was laying off people left right and centre mm -hmm. and you know in a bid to survive what they saw was the unknown. It sent a very clear message about who they really value. They don't, you know, all this rhetoric around we value our people. No, you don't. You know, and a lot of these organizations, you know, there were some organizations I get it, you know, they, they were on survival mode. Yeah. Uh, and they had to make hard decisions. Some of these organizations, they've been making it super profits for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And the first sign of a of a trouble offloading their people and, and doing it in a very, you know, inhumane way. In human way, you know, unnecessary, very unkind, 
and certainly not what we as HR professionals, you know, some HR professionals were part and parcel of that, you know, sad, sadly that story and that narrative. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, one of the things I, I really came to, you know, focus on is that if you if you really want to add, add value to your senior leadership team, and if they're only looking at the numbers, then they make, they're going to make bad decisions. Yeah. They're only looking at the short term. Because that's what, as accountants, I was trained to do. What's the profits for this year? Yes. What's the you know, cost savings we can make this year? Not, yeah. not strategically. That's yeah. not really strategic long-term thinking. No. And, and not really thinking about how, you know, and, and you just, the, the, the split between organizations are, we're trying to redeploy their staff, trying to find ways to retain them and keep them employed. Um, and, you know, all into those coming back hours, reducing hours, but not letting go, you know, and, and trying to assist their people. So there was a real, the real telltale moment in time. Yes. Uh, and I think, you know, the future, coming back to the question, it's a very exciting place to be right now because, you know, there has been a real, uh, you know, the businesses have been looking at their, their HR and OD professionals to see what they can do to help get through this space. Yes. And it's, so it's a great place to be right now. It is. You know, we, mm -hmm. we owe it to ourselves to be brilliant. We do. Oh, yes. I love that. We owe it to ourselves to be brilliant. Like, that is such an important thing to recognize that this really is. I There's a talk that I give, which is called, it's the most wonderful time to be in HR. And I know a lot of times when I start the talk, people go, is she for real? What kind of title is that? But it really is an exciting time and a wonderful time to be in this space of redefining HR redeveloping HR, reframing mm. the work, but then also who we are as people in the space and understanding the importance mm. that we play in creating great organizations. It's more than sitting behind our desk every day, manipulating papers and automated processes. Yeah. It's about the people getting into the nitty gritty and getting I to know your people. I think if you're still working on policies and processes and systems, then you've lost, you've missed the reporting. You really have. All of those things will be, you know, done by automation. Yeah. Question of time, you know. Um, the, I mean, again, the the recruitment space for those, and, and again, it's not to say that we're there yet, but the way AI is, you know, um, moving forward, mm -hmm. recruitment is going to change very rapidly, very quickly um, with. Organizations like IKEA, Pepsi, L'Oreal using you know AI to conduct 300 interviews an hour um, using just AI, mm -hmm. uh, and that's going to get only more and more sophisticated and more and more affordable. So, you know, doing the uh, and again the, the, the pricing point of, of different of, you know products and software packages is coming down. Yes. Um, so more and more organizations are going to be automating what they can. Mm -hmm. So where you add value isn't actually around transactional stuff it really isn't it is around that bigger picture yeah you know what kind of environment are you great for your people where mm -hmm. they are valued yeah i think that it's also important to recognize that a lot of hr people are still not that evolved yet there are still a lot of us who are still behind mm -hmm. the bus in terms of the technology processes and automation and that kind of thing from a global context i think there are a lot of people who are still departments of one running on google 
cheats or running on Excel. However, I do think that the more we expose people to the free technology that's out there, because gone are the days when you could say, you know, my organization does not finance or does not support me purchasing an HRIS system. Mm. Well, there are HRIS systems that exist for free, right? Zoho, People, Bamboo HR, um, Orange, HRM, all of these companies have some form of their technology available that you can use free of cost for mm. a period of time um, or until you develop and grow. So I think that we have to get in a space and that's why i say it's exciting and i think that's why you would agree that you know there are so many things that we can do to improve our lot in this profession we just have to learn how and get the exposure that we need gone are the days when we said we couldn't afford to go to an hr conference because now even if you can't physically pay to go to one they're offering some form of it in a free format that you can benefit from. Yeah. You have HR Summer School on LinkedIn, which is free, Hacking HR, which is free. Um, so you have all of these different things now that are helping us as HR to say, okay, come on guys, no longer can you have these excuses. You've got to get on the bus and, and move things forward. You well, agree? I, mean, I suppose it comes back <laughs> to your, your HR for HR. Yeah. You know, we need to look after ourselves. Nobody else will. Exactly. Unless we get into the driving seat of our own careers, we're going to end up, you know, looking after everybody else, making sure they develop, making sure they thrive and, and, and grow and not, you know, be looking after ourselves. And that's 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 not going to take us forward. No, def definitely not. But I also love the point that you made about we can't be process driven. If we're still process driven, we're going to get lost in the wash as HR continues to evolve and grow and that we should be in a space where not only do we recognize the importance of helping our people to thrive but also helping ourselves to thrive because yeah. an hr professional who is full of knowledge to share and give is a healthy hr professional but also an, a professional who is going to continue to progress in their career so we can't stay we can't stay behind we have to move things forward Thank you so much for sharing that. I just want to get a little clarification for some of the audience in terms of, because I know a lot of times HR professionals are generalists, but you specifically mm. made a decision to focus on organizational development. What does that mean exactly? What has your career so, in OD so looked like? Question. So what, my, what, I've, what I've found, Julie, is that when you speak to any HR and OD um, professional, their understanding of OD varies from person to person. Mm. And that's because most organizations, they don't know, when they have a part of the organization they don't actually know what to do with, it gets handed over to HR and OD. Because yeah. it's to do with people, it's to do with the organization, which, which pretty much covers everything. So you'll find practitioners out there, you know, um, given communications, they're given logistics, they're given administration, transportation, um, IT, and I think that's a distraction. Mm. If you're not, you know, if your, your focus is not on the strategy of the organization, on the values of the organization, of the culture of the organization, um, yes. and understanding what the purpose of the organization is, and then being able to convey that to the people to get that, you know, engagement, then you're, you're not, you're not going to, you know, help your organization succeed because, you know, people are looking for purpose. 
Mm-hmm. Just part of it, something that they, feel, they can contribute and be engaged with. So it's it's not as simple as you know a staff survey. It is about what you know you're doing with that stuff. It's not as simple as you know um, doing post point surveys or, or or articulating the values. It's about yeah. how you how you embed those values and how you measure those values. So it's not it's, it's you know it's so it's so much more. And I think people undersell uh, because it's you know it's easy to do the transactional stuff in HR. Yeah. And then the organization development part looks like, mm-hmm. and and it's and it's easier to cut and paste. Based, they've seen other organizations, so you know our organizational design will be based on a similar organization. Why does it have to be based on a similar organization? Why not start with a blank piece of paper yeah. and try to find out what is going to work best for you in your context with the resources you have. And be and be actively involved in, in, in guiding the senior leadership team. Yes, that's a, what an exciting thing to be. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think a lot of times, to your point about comparison and cutting and pasting, a lot of times as organizations, mm-hmm. we kind of look to the apples and the Googles and the Amazons to see what they're doing and see if we can put that in our context of our organization. But if you notice the news and you read, you know, the reports that come yeah. out about these companies, even when it comes to simple things like paying their employees. There was a whole big thing about that with Amazon just the yeah, other day. Yeah. When you think about their DEI strategies and how they are looking at women in leadership, um, people of diverse um backgrounds in their leadership spaces their numbers are a lot of them their numbers are low so even though they put them out there for transparency's sake there's still a lot of work that needs to be done right yes exactly but if you're not yeah i mean i always say especially if you're talking about dni or, or any initiative it does come down to the appetite of the organization because it doesn't matter how good you are as a practitioner mm-hmm. you could be you could be brilliant you could be amazing but if you haven't got the organizations that have the appetite then they're just stringing you along with you know with what you know uh, with nice words if i'm being honest and if that's the case as soon as you realize that get out and go somewhere where you can add value mm-hmm. and shape the organization and shape the organization mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which brings me to my next question what advice do you have for hr professionals that want to specialize in OD or any other area. Um, and I think that that's so important what you just said about if you realize that the organization is stringing you along, then you need to think about, is this the place that you really wanna be? A lot of times HR professionals stay because they think I really wanna make an impact. And if they haven't made an impact, instead of thinking, you know what, it's not me, it's the fact that the organization doesn't have the appetite for what I'm bringing to the table. And maybe I need to move on to a table that will take on what I have to bring and will have the appetite for it versus, oh my God, I failed. (laughs) I'm doomed. That's a great uh, point, uh, Julie. I mean, this question, I guess I get people asking me in our community, you know, I want to move into this area, I want to move into that area. And, you know, when I when I dig a bit deep, I realise that you know um, they've been in, in that in that space for maybe a few years mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a generalist. No one now specialised. I think as a generalist, it is perhaps the best place to start and to expose yourself to as many different areas of HR as possible, whether yes. it's policies, processes, 
you know, creating the values, you know, doing, you know, um, doing staff surveys and looking at the, you know, drilling down into the results, uh, doing, uh, facilitating you know, uh, leadership development, whatever, whatever that part of, of your role is, but to expose yourself as much as possible, because mm -hmm. again, what you might think looks great and, you know, and, and to use the word sexy, um, because it's, it's the in thing right now, it might not necessarily be where you're naturally, you know, you have a natural affinity to it. Yes. Uh, and, you know, one of the great things about coming out of the other end of the eight years as a HRD was, uh, I came back to that freelance question, was actually I recognised there was things I could do, but I didn't enjoy them. You know, I could, you know, I, mean, I wrote policies, I reviewed policies, didn't enjoy doing that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it is about partially finding what you enjoy uh, and and what will challenge you. And it is a, it's a you've actually exposed yourself to as much of, you know, the, the different areas that we do now and we have very broad shoulders we wear very many yes. hats so expose yourself as much as possible find yourself a mentor or, or mentors who you can talk to and bounce off ideas with because yes. that will help you shape your thinking about what you really want to specialize in because exactly. you, know, you might be um you might be disappointed if you, if you go down if you, if you switch too soon um you might not you, there might be a better area for you to experience and and, and um develop yourself in yeah so give yourself time don't there's no rush it's, no it is the journey as they say there's no rush exactly. take your time and and, and 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 really relish that time that you've got to do different things yes because once you specialize you know that's, that's all you'll get yeah that's it that's it i totally agree like i feel just as we have you know different industries like for example doctors in the medical field Doctors start out as generalists, so they touch everything from neurology yeah. to oncology to, you know, dealing with babies. So they touch everything and then mm -hmm. they make a decision on do they want to stay as a GP or do they want to actually specialize and become something else? So having that first hand of everything that they've touched then helps them to be great GPs or to be great specialists. And I think the same is true for us in the HR space, you know, try to learn as much as you can. I totally agree. Being a generalist is great, but is it what you want to do forever? Time will tell, yeah. you know, but then when you do decide to specialize, you know, be very intentional about it. And I love the point that you made about mentor slash mentors, because sometimes I think that people think they should only have one mentor, but I had a mentor for some of everything, like all throughout my career, I've had mentors, not a mentor. And each person mm -hmm. specializes in something differently, whether I, I've had a mentor for recruitment, I've had a mentor for culture, I've had a mentor for DEI. So like having those people in your corner, in your space, helping you along your journey helps you to sharpen because they are specialists. So that helps to sharpen you and who you are as a generalist. I just want to keep them sharp as well. Yes. You ask them questions, answer, exactly. Well, let me ask you this just on the side when it comes to mentorship, what is your preference? Because I know some people, I know there are organizations that specialize in providing mentors. Um, I've always been a huge fan of organic mentorships, like developing relationships and then people gradually becoming my mentor what's your take on that <clears throat> I suppose both 
because it comes down to what works for the individual. So I know some people like it very structured. Uh, I, I'm very similar to yourself, Judy. I like to quite organic. I don't go look, I don't go out saying looking for a mentor. Mm. I'll just, you know, meet somebody called Poppy yeah. uh, and literally squeeze as much out of them as I can possibly can in that because, um, you know, pre pandemic, I was yes. meeting people from across the profession at all different stages of their career paths. So, mm-hmm. senior uh, leaders to people who are students just starting their you know, HR journey mm-hmm. and just giving an hour of my time, getting an hour of their time. Um, and I always find that valuable because it always gave me, um, you know, things to think about and insights yeah. and to chew over. Yeah. But likewise, I'm hoping I gave others, the other part, person something to think about and chew over as well. Yeah. So for me, I, I think it's, you know, I've, I've, I've preferred the organic. I do know, for example, the CIPD do have a, um, a mentoring, mentoring program. Yes. Where they will match uh, senior leaders with uh, people at the starting, start, starting point of their careers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it takes that having that structure having have, makes it a little bit more rigid, uh, and you know, so it's, I suppose it's forces for forces really. Yeah, there's no right one right or wrong way to do it. Exactly, just just your preference. I wanted to check in on the comments. Like exactly, I wanted to check in on the comments, and I see um, Julianne is saying she needs to work on automation. So to her point about automation, like what are some of the things that you think are important to be automated in an HR role almost immediately? Whether you're starting or you know developing your career, what's what's important to automate? I suppose it's, it's, it depends on the organization and, and what processes you're following currently. Um, so the starting point would be really to find out what are your processes that you're following and do they actually make sense? So before you know, jump into automation. Yeah. Do your processes that you have, whether it's around recruitment, you know, attraction, retention, whatever process you're following, do they actually make sense? Because quite often, what happens in organisations is a process is in place, it stays in place, and, you know, the organisation grows, it moves on, but the process stays as it is. Yeah. It's no longer fit for purpose. And then when the opportunity comes to automate that process, it's just automated wholesale rather than asking. The bigger question, which is, do we need this process? Yeah. And is there a different way of doing this? And and whenever you get, you know, I mean, I know you've had Perry Tims on here, so I want to yes. give thunder. Um, <laughs> he agile design thinking, which yep. I think is brilliant, which is around bringing people together to solve yep. a problem. And it's not that the, the practitioners, the HR specialists are the ones to solve the problem. They might contribute to solving the problem, but actually getting people across the organization involved and it might, you know, it might be around, you know, timekeeping, it might be sickness absence, whatever the issue is, you know, car parking space, could be anything. But what, whatever the issue is, getting people around the table and actually getting people to be in a uh, very fluid, agile way to think about the problem and come up with a solution together yeah. and then design as a process, I think would be the starting point. And then thinking about how you automate it. Mm-hmm. So before automation, I, I advocate that needs to happen. Um, the problem with most HRIS systems is that they're so clear, they, they have so many modules mm-hmm. and, and they have so many you know bells and whistles and you know everything looks shiny and great. Yes. Um, but it's like, what what are you stuck you, your your organisation right now? What's taking up the time? Is it that you're spending too much time recruiting, recruiting and your managers are engaged in recruitment? Mm-hmm. If that's happening, why? Because you've got an attrition problem. If that's happening, what's what's causing the attrition? 
So it's about digging, you know, keep running the question back until you actually find what is the organizational pain that you're trying to address yeah. or the opportunity that you're trying to take advantage of. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's about back rather than diving in. Yes. Yeah. I got to agree with you. I am all for agile principles and methodologies being adopted in the HR space. Mm-hmm. And I'm a huge fan of Perry's work as well as Natal Dank in terms of creating that agile organizational transformation. And I think it's really important especially when you're a department of one, uh, creating that agile yeah. mindset in your organization is important because then you get everyone across the organization to chip in and help you to come mm-hmm. up with those solutions. Um, I was inter- interviewing someone yesterday and they were saying, you know, HR needs to stop being the, the prescription, the prescription office, you know, you go to the doctor, it gives you a prescription. We need to stop doing that, but we need to come together collectively and work together to create solutions um, and help people to use their brain to think, right? Versus us as HR coming up with the answer all the time. So I totally agree with you there. We're going to switch yeah. vehicles. If just you're familiar with nudge, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, if you're familiar with nudge theory. Yes. If you're familiar with nudge theory, which I think is good. Uh, that's the, our role. It should be to nudge, nudge. the organization along, uh, not necessarily your know, handhold and, exactly. and carry, because you know we have more to do than just handhold and carry. Way more, way more, and you find that your load gets a lot lighter when you take on that mindset as well. Yeah. I wanted to switch vehicles just a little bit and talk about yeah, sure. moving from OD to to DEI and your journey in the DEI space. What made you decide to shift and focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion? So it wasn't by this, and again, if I'll have this, it was by accident. Um, okay. I'm, I'm, I was fortunate that I get to speak at a number of conferences and events, and I get invited to you know um, speak in the UK and internationally, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But what was quite was I suppose what really hit me hit home to me was when I was speaking at the HR Directors Conference and I spoke at the HR Directors Conference in the Netherlands and I spoke at it at the one in what was all these you know, senior HR leaders you know, CHROs, HRDs yeah. they were all you know to be very frank you know there seemed to be a, a real problem with you know diversity within our profession. Mm-hmm. Pretty much everyone across, I, I obviously, you know, up to a certain level, it's, it's very female dominated. Um, beyond that level, at the most senior levels, it's male dominated, which doesn't make sense. Yeah. Um, you know, so many women uh, in the profession, but all the senior roles are mostly occupied by men. Yeah. Disproportionately occupied by men. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly white. Um, and I, and I, you know, and I was one of the very few you know, persons of a ethnic background at these events. And I look out to the audience and, and I've noticed that every single time. And then I'd attend the student conferences. And I look out at the student conferences and I could see, actually, it's not a problem with the pipeline. There's plenty of people from diverse backgrounds coming into the profession. Mm-hmm. They're just not making it to the senior roles. And for whatever reason, um, you know, we, we failed as a profession. We are the ones tasked with 
tackling you know DEI. Yeah. And yet we haven't solved our own problem. Mm-hmm. Um, we have had a, and I've had very long conversations with senior HR leaders, including with on you know CIPD as a board member, that actually you know we've we, even if you look at some of the the language we use, it's always a you know if anything, if the only areas of, that, of strand that we were tackling up until recently really uh, gender, yeah. LGBT, mm-hmm. uh, and that'd be pretty much it. Yeah, and it would ignore. Um, pretty much every other type of difference. Um, so it wasn't something that I, I, you know, I didn't want to be the, you know, the person with, of ethnic background, you know, championing, you know, uh, inclusion from a, from a race perspective. Right. Um, but I ended up having to uh, in that space because I could see very few people in that space. But it was much more than just uh, race. One of the things that. Yeah. I had an advantage of, and I see it as an advantage, was I went to a special needs school as a child. So for me, my my upbringing was actually being surrounded by children who were perhaps what most people would have had at school. So yeah. um, in the 1970s in the UK, there was no inclusion policy. No. Nope. If you were different, you were sent to a special needs school. So my difference was that um, severely asthmatic. Okay. Um, but in my school, that meant I had children who had um, physical challenges like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of my, you know, colleagues, uh, fellow pupils had a hole in his heart. Um, <clears throat> other, uh, other students' uh, pupils had um, physical deformities. Okay. So uh, there was a girl who had a, uh, quite a large growth on the side of her face. Um, another girl had her uh, feet facing up. One girl was blind in one eye, wore an eye patch. We had children with learning difficulties and, and disabilities. But um, I was very exposed to difference from a very early age. And when I came into the, I suppose, what you classify as mainstream schooling or normal schooling, and I use normal with inverted commas, commas. Mm-hmm. I realized actually the world isn't kind. It, it's quite, it can be quite cruel yeah. if, you're, if you're seen as different. So being in that HR space where I know we are meant to be championing inclusion, where we're meant to be making sure the workplace is welcoming for everyone and realizing that we were falling short, uh, I suppose, put me down a path where, you know, I started talking more and more about um, DNI. I started writing more articles about it. I started, you know, then delivering training on it. Yes. And I'm now, uh, and then with an organization as a DNI consultant, um, working uh, with them. So it's, it's been, it's been great to be able to um, take that on. Yeah. But, I think as a whole professional community, and I and I and I'm looking at all of us. There's so much more that we should be doing and can be doing. Absolutely, but it doesn't come back down to the appetite of the organisation. Are they paying lip service, or are they you're serious about actually trying to make a difference? Difference. You are so right, and especially when it comes to race and gender. Like I think a lot of times people see DEI only in that lens of race and gender, but there's so much more. Yeah to DEI than race and gender. And to your point, like one of my focuses when I talk about DEI is from the lens of being neurodiverse because I have ADHD. Mm-hmm. And so it's something for me right. that where my attention deficit shows up doesn't mean I can't perform. Um, but these are the things that mm-hmm. are gonna show up when I'm working with you as someone with ADHD. And I think it's really yeah. important for people to recognize that 
a neurodiversity is not a disability. It can be your superpower and how you use that in, mm-hmm. in a way effectively can change the way you work. I mean, when you think about persons with autism, their ability mm-hmm. to find the details, the most delicate of errors patterns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, is mind blowing so that you now have organizations like the Pentagon and NASA working with people who are autistic because they're looking for those details. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important for us to think about DEI with a bigger lens as HR people. I don't think we do that enough. Um, and also, like I recently spoke at the Amplified DEI Summit, which is done by Vivian Aqua in the Netherlands. Kudos to her. And mm-hmm. one of the conversations they were having was around understanding how architecture plays a part in diversity. You're building architecture and is it created in such a way that it helps the colors in your building matter and how that helps with people's moods. Um, And also if your building has ramps, the chairs that you have in your building, are they seated for people who are um, of bigger frames? How inclusive are you Mm -hmm. really being when you think about those things? So I, I totally appreciate the work that you are doing around DEI and helping people to understand the difference. But I got to ask you, what are some of the lessons that you've learned along the way in navigating your journey in DEI? I suppose the hardest lesson too that I've learned was that, and I use this often in my training, is a picture of Bruce Willis from Die Hard. Because <laughs> um, I like the fact that DIE, diversity, inclusion, and equity, is hard. Mm-hmm. It's damn hard. And the reason it's hard is not, is not by accident, it's by design. And you know, all of us would have studied at some point or, or you know, some kind of management theory around how the world of work was constructed in the 1900s with you know, um, Taylorism, Henry Coyal, Fordism, etc. etc. But this was a world of work imagined by white men for other white men. It wasn't imagined for a world including women or, yeah. or people of ethnic backgrounds or people with disabilities or difference. It wasn't. And that's that's the honest reality of it. Mm-hmm. And that's the hundred year your legacy that you're pushing back again when you when you're, when you're in this space. Um, yeah. And we have to even when I say hundred years, it's not even hundred years, it's you know you know, women first entered the workforce in after World War One, um, into the farms and the factories when you know the men went off to fight. Second World War, the men and the women went off to fight, but women also again entered the you know, into the farms and the factories. At the end of both of those wars, they went back into their homes. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until 1947 that they entered the workforce en masse with the creation of the NHS. So it's taken a long time for even women to get into the workforce. You know, 100 years from the, you know, the modern creation of the world of work as we know it. So we are behind the curve and there's a lot of catching up to do. So that's one of the hard lessons I, you know, I realized. Um, and I suppose the other lesson is that actually a lot of organizations talk about it, but they're not really serious. No. And you can tell they're not serious because they will they will appoint a DNI lead and think that's it, job done. That's not job done. Or they will create, you know, the platform for having an employee resource group and think job done. And what you're actually doing is asking the people who are suffering from the discrimination they face within your organization to solve the problem that they never created. And you're saying to the employee resource group, now, you know, we've created you, you know, given some resources and time, fix what's wrong. 
<laughs> but you know, and they can be part of the solution, but they're not the solution. Yes. So there's little things like that that you know quite tell you know quite telltale signs about where your organization is on its journey. You know, and it's gonna take time, it's gonna take resources, because you're trying to unpack a lot. Yes. Uh, and it's gonna take granular understanding about what actually is the problem. Yep. And that all is gonna take a lot of time. But I really appreciate the journey and the struggles, but the lessons that you've learned, because it really helps us to understand that we are going to have, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done in this space. And the mindset around the space really needs to shift for everyone in order for us to be able to create safe and inclusive spaces. And I like the fact that you said, you know, DEI is hard. Um, and I know I remember hearing someone say you can't spell HR without you can't spell hard without using HR. Um, so in general, you know, it is it is hard work that we do. And there are times when we need support um, to educate ourselves, to build our communities. And one of the spaces that I am always grateful for is the CIPD space. And I know that you are sitting as a director on the board of, of the CIPD. Uh, for those in our audience who are not aware of what the CIPD is, what it does, um, can you give us a little explanation? I know I always say to people, it's the European version of what you know we have in North America as SHRM. Um, so in, in America, you have SHRM. In the UK, Europe, you have CIPD, um, but tell us about the benefits of being a part of the CIPD. Yeah. It's a, uh, a, a chartered organization with a royal charter, it's a federal organization, and its charitable purpose is about championing better work and better working lives. So it's quite a, a broad mandate. Um, we have about 100,000 members uh, across the world. Most of those are in the UK, so about 140 of thousand of those are in the UK. Yeah. Um, the remainder are in Asia, um, the Middle East, and the rest of the world. We're still, I suppose, um, I've been on the board now since 2016. This is my last year, and Aww. it's been um, exhausting because it is. It is. Um, we have a six-year term. Uh, it's exhausting because we're we're trying to do so much, uh, uh, and and and. And support our community and there's a lot of support that the CIPD offers in both in terms of development yeah. uh, career uh, career journey um, advocating uh, and championing better work being a voice for the profession challenging government uh, on, on on different issues whether it's around um, working flexibly from day one uh, the ethnicity pay gap um, you know being uh, raising the awareness around men of you know menopause and, and the, the changes that uh, take place, um, which is often not talked about. Yes. So it's it's got a uh, massive. It does it has, it has so many different things, but it really is there to um, raise the, the the bar. Because again, as I'm sure you know, Judy, um, to be an accountant, really, you, you know, you're not going to be recognised unless you've got a qualification. Correct. To be an HR practitioner or an OD practitioner, you don't necessarily need to have a qualification. Correct. What it brings to you is that is that almost limitless resources that the organization has to the forefront to support yes. you in your journey and your learning mm -hmm. um, 
there's some piece of work that you're doing for the first time will be a toolkit that you'll be able to get from yeah. the CIPG. Mm -hmm. There's facts and figures that you need to make a business case argument. You'll be able to go back to the CIPG to get those facts and figures. Yes. If there's things that are happening right now, whether it's around the response to, to Ukraine or, or the response to the pandemic or the response to Black Lives Matter, the CIPG has always been there to make sure that we have resources to help support you in making sure that you're effective in your role. Mm -hmm. And I suppose that's the, you know, the biggest value of a main membership organization like CIPD and like SHRM. Um, because you, you can't, you, you know, if you only repeat what you know, then you're only repeating exactly that, yeah. that what you know. Whereas if you reach out and connect and actually take advantage of all the resources that are around you, now suddenly you, you have a superpower. Mm -hmm. you know, it's you and it. And the professional community that Katie, your standpoint. Yes. I've learned so much through my, my CIPD journey. Um, I love attending the conferences. Although, like I will say, um, um, it's one of the conversations that I sparked recently on Twitter and it caused quite a, a buzz, is I still feel like yeah. in terms of the speaker lineups, there's still that lack of diversity um, that I, I think we really do yeah, need to right. see an improvement in yeah, that space. Changed, yeah, it has changed. Uh, you're very right. When I first came to the space, um, I I called the uh, organisers of our events to say good enough, and I was quite taken back. Mm -hmm. Thankfully, that individual is no longer with the organisation; moved on to a different organisation. But the response I got was, uh, looking at the lineup, um, we don't have diversity. And the yeah. response I got back was, well, this is not a diverse con a diversity conference. And I said, well, you're missing the point. Yeah. Right then, you know, you know. If I'm attending, if I want to uh, attract the wider community, which is diverse, then you need to have diverse speakers on exactly. every topic, and not just be talking, not just talking about diversity and inclusion. Yeah, I want to see a diverse-looking speaker speaking on engagement or, uh, you know, employment law or any any other topic, exactly. culture or values or, or whatever's current. Um, so it's it's come a long way. Mm -hmm. And again, you're, if you look at the lineup that we have now, they are very diverse. Yeah, exactly. It's followed by images yes so it's, it's moving in the right direction yeah but i want to make sure it's not just a you know a surface level move and it actually exactly. is genuinely trying to represent and, and role model what we should all be doing exactly I, I would call that yeah, and i think it's important to recognize that there is improvement i mean um as I said mm -hmm. to you earlier, while we were before we came on air, like I'm originally from Manchester, and I've always wanted to support CIP, CIPD Manchester more. Um, and I'm about to be a part of a panel discussion on the same topic of DEI um, for CIPD Manchester. And I've just realized that Peter Cheese is actually mm -hmm. going to be on the panel. And I was like, ah, great time for me to call him out on some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I call them out all the time, so you know, we need to. But yeah. that's that's the, the beauty of, of being an open organisation where actually you can call out yes. what you see and ask for more and ask for better because we, we deserve it. Exactly, we definitely do. I can see our time is getting close to the end, so let me just ask you um, these last couple questions. What advice sure. would you give to your younger self about navigating the HR field? But the biggest mistake I made, and I touched on it at the very beginning, was that I think once you start repeating your greatest hits, um, you're, in, you're in that space too long. You're not growing anymore. Yeah. You know, um, 
even as HRD, I was in that role for eight years. And I was, you know, it was my, you know, my third or fourth, you know, staff survey, my, you know, second strategy that was rolling out, um, second attempt at redefining the values, you know, culture, um, you know, rewriting the policies for HR and building a new team. And I think if you're in an organization where, you, where you're repeating your greatest hits, it's time to move on. It's time to, you know, get yourself out of comfort zone and, 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 and embrace the fear. Because it's, it's easy staying where you are. It is. Yes. But you're not going to grow. And, and trying to find out, can you repeat your success somewhere else? And if you can't, that's okay. It's okay to fail. Don't be afraid of failure. Exactly. You, you know, Nelson never said it beautifully. Either I win or I don't. I never lose. And I think if we embrace that mindset, then we will carry on growing. And then we, we, we become that which we, you know, push up back to the rest of the world. Keep yes. growing. Keep growing and keep, keep learning. Great advice, and I hope that everyone. Awesome, and I hope that everyone takes that advice to heart. Thank you so much for sharing it. Now, I wouldn't be HR for HR if I didn't ask you, how do you practice self care? So you're almost looking at it. So I do a number of things. So the artwork you can see around me uh, is what I did over the Christmas break because I got burnt out and I needed to switch off and not just angle my yes. camera so you can see uh, that's one wall that's the other wall wow um and i, and I make a point to switch off completely and, and being in the, in the freelance space is sometimes difficult to do that um, but i do turn work down when i can see that i've got back-to-back work with clients yes i'll actually start turning work down and that sounds a bit you know like i'm shooting myself in the foot but you know we really believe what we say as a as a professional community that it's about our own well-being yes then chasing opportunities constantly means that you actually start harming yourself um so i, I make a point of actually turning down work when i think i need to i'm um, switching off completely um i like to um make sure i spend time with family yeah i get to the gym every single day Nice. Um, doing something different every single day, whether it's swimming, running, you know, weights, whatever it is, but I make sure I, I spend that time looking after myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and reconnecting with what's important. One of, my, one of my oldest friends and dearest friends said to me, um, you know what, I'm not, when I asked him if he was successful, he said, you know what, I'm not cash rich, but I am time rich. And that's what we have, Julie, is time. Time. And I think sometimes we, we forget that's the only thing is time. Yeah. And how we spend it is totally up to us. Um, if you're in a role which is, you know, killing you, and, I, and I've been there when I was in a role that was making me work, you know, weekends, evenings, um, I, you know, always trying to finish off that piece of work and then the next piece of work comes straight in, straight after. It's, 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 a, it's a no-win situation because it's never going to end. Yeah. You take control of your well-being. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you are taking the right steps to take care of yourself especially in the space that you're in and you're constantly you're a very busy man and i appreciate you taking the time to you know share your experiences and your journey with us today and thank you for sharing your self-care tips too because i think um we all learn from you know everyone's way of practicing self-care in one way or the other so what's next for shaquille but so well, i said i'm coming off the cip board this year yeah. I, I do plan to take a bit break from before my next non-exec role uh, but i do want to be on hopefully on another non-executive uh role simply because 
to be very frank with yourself, if people are cleverer than you, you learn so much. Mm -hmm. I like being the idiot in the room. Mm -hmm. That's how you grow. Yes. When, you, when you're surrounded with people who know as much as you or know less than you, it might feel great. It might make you feel important. But you, again, it comes back to that growth. You mm -hmm. won't grow. So being on the board of the CIPD, uh, I was on the board of HR directors of some of the biggest names uh, of organizations, the biggest brands, and just listening to them and, and absorbing and, and, and learning from them, but also challenging yes. them and realizing that they, they, they don't have all the answers. Um, and, that, and that's a good thing to realize as well. So um, beyond that, I do have three book ideas. Uh, I've written over 100 articles. Again, if you go to my LinkedIn page, you'll see them. So yes. if you want to see, I've written on a whole range of topics. So feel free to have a look at those. Um, I've reviewed a number of books. I've judged the Business Book of the Year awards. So I think it's time for me to write my own few books now. And I've got one nice. that I've been, I started last year drafting out an outline. Uh, I got a publisher saying, yeah, we'll be happy to publish that. And now I just haven't had time to actually focus on it. So I'm, yeah. I need to do that. Nice. You definitely do. You definitely do. And I'll definitely be looking forward to reading that for sure. Thank you. Go for it. With that being said, you have survived your time with us today for the HR Sound Off Monthly Live. Thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. And You're thank you thank to you. our audience for being here and joining us for this conversation. So like I said, this is my monthly live. This is what it looks like. Every month, I'm going to talk to one amazing person and magnify their HR voice. So next month, you have a little bit of a treat. So I'm always talking about HR community and what it means to me. And next month, I am going to introduce you to my HR community. So joining us for next month, we're going to have Eric Kershot from HR Hot Seat. We're going to have Alicia from Collab HR, Jennifer McClure from Disrupt HR, Adesi Okajoy from Black Woman in HR, Enrique Rubio from Hacking HR, and Wendy Daly, who is one of the organizers of the Twitter chat for the HR podcast. So look out for that coming up next month. Very excited, Julie. Yes, I'm very excited for it. So with that being said, everyone, have an awesome afternoon, evening, weekend. Stay safe, take care of yourself. And remember, we are here for you no matter what. HR for HR is here to stay. And HR Sound Off will sound off again in April. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Take care. Yay! We are well done, Judy. Off. Oh.